The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me, and I want you to notice, he maketh. The Lord is the one who maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at the characteristic of God's grace in comforting grace and the way the Lord comforts us through his grace. And I want to begin with 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much joy there is surrounding you in this world. You cannot, you cannot have comfort outside. You cannot have true comfort outside of God Almighty, the God of all comfort. Going on, it says, Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. How can we comfort them? By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. How can I comfort my dear brother, Mike and Shirley Loveless? By the only way I know how, and that is pointing them to my Savior, the Lord Jesus, where all of our comfort is. He is our conqueror. He he is uh, our provider. He's everything we need. He's my all in all. Anything I am at a point of being so uncomfortable with that I can't deal with it in my own mind, I take it to my Lord, and I lay it at the feet of Jesus. That's what my mom always told me. She goes, put it in your hands like this and lift it to the feet of Jesus. In her handout, right underneath that first paragraph of Scripture, through the grace of our great Creator, God's people are brought to an understanding of peace. You can't earn this peace. You can't think. You can read scripture all you want, but if God doesn't bring you to an understanding of that scripture, then you're not taught of God. And the scripture tells us that we all are taught, all of God's people are taught of God. We are brought to an understanding of peace, comforting our souls in the turmoils of this world. And even more important, the turmoils of this flesh. The sin that is within us. We sing this this hymn, Trusting Jesus. I put the words in there for you. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus. That is all. Brightly doth his spirit shine into this poor heart of mine. While he leads, I cannot fall. 
trusting Jesus, that is all. Singing if my path is clear, praying if the path be drear, if in danger for him call, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting him while life shall last, trusting him till earth be passed, till earth be passed, till within the jasper walls, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him whatever befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. Colossians 2, verse 5, we read these words, For though I be absent in the flesh, writes Paul, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness. That's that's the trusting Jesus, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I receive strength for my soul when I witness the strength of our Lord in you. And that comforts me as I sojourn through this valley, a shadow of death to the believer. It says to the God or the God of all comfort who comforted us us in all of our tribulation in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Simply put, and this is just as simple as it gets, folks, we trust the Almighty. We believe. We believe what? We believe the sovereignty of God. He who rules all that is even He who rules all that is even rule that even rules my heart my mind, every part of my being, he is my Lord. Therefore, his very word is most precious to this poor sinner. And his word has much to say about the comfort of his people. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, we read this. The Lord is instructing the prophet to comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. In verse 2, he says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, they're the people of God. That Jerusalem is a picture of spiritual Israel. They are the people of God. They are his chosen people out of all the world in those days, showing that he has a chosen people throughout all time. Spiritual Israel. It says, speak to her very heart. What will be warming words to her troubles, acceptable to her and comfortable to her, and it says under her, un, and cry under her. In other words, let it be proclaimed aloud that all may hear and that God may bring an understanding of it, that her warfare is accomplished. And this is where our comfort comes in. Our warfare is done. It's accomplished. The Lord on the cross said, it is finished. Therefore, it is finished. Folks, this life is a warfare. The saints of God have many enemies that we war against. We war against sin. We war against Satan and the, and the devils of, uh, of darkness and the world. Many battles to fight, great battles and great afflictions. And the good fight of faith, that's a battle too, the good fight of faith. This is accomplished, it says. Not that it will come to an end before this life is over while our fleshly life goes on. There will be a continual conflict, yet all of our enemies, including the ones that plague our mind, are now conquered by Christ. 
and in a short time will be under the feet of his people, the captain of our salvation, who has got the victory and has gone on before us. The crown is laid up for them and is sure unto them. Some interpret it this way, her set or her appointed time. As we read in Job chapter 7, verse 1, is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? Accomplished. Accomplished can be understood either of the time of deliverance from from captivity or of the time of the Messiah's coming or of the fullness of time when he should appear afterwards prophesying of, of this. We could simply, we could also apply this as well to the servitude of bondage, of the law being put to an end. The law being put to an end has been accomplished. And from all the fatigue of it, and all the labors that we put into into trying to follow the law, the trouble of that dispensation, and it, and it can be applied to the gospel dispensation taking place because of what comes next. It says that her iniquity is pardoned, which is God's act. This act flows from his free and sovereign grace. It was obtained by the blood of Christ. It is full and complete, and it yields great relief, great comfort to guilty minds. The punishment that was bore by our surety is accepted. God is just in pardoning us from our sin, for God has provided himself a lamb for a burnt offering, as we read in Genesis 22.8. He hath bore the sins of his people in his own body, a body that was prepared from old. Listen to these words in Hebrews 10, verse 3 through 10. But in those sacrifices, the sacrifices of old, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. A body that would be born through the seed of the Spirit, not the seed of Adam full of sin, but the seed of the Spirit, holy, holy and perfect and righteous in every way, born into a virgin. That's the body that was prepared by God Almighty for his Son, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who has always been the Son of God. He just wasn't flesh yet. This body was prepared in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, as it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which was offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. What was the first? The first was, if you do this, you do that, that he may establish the second. What's the second? I, saith the Lord, hath done. It is finished. By the which will we are sanctified, set apart, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Now notice these last words. Once. For all. 
Folks, when the Lord Jesus does something, he doesn't have to do it twice. Does that not bring peace to our souls? How often do we have to do things over and over again? I remember uh, somebody just recently was talking to me about something, and uh, he said, oh, I know what it was. He said, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember you keep telling me, John. And I said, don't feel, don't worry about it. My mom had told me things a hundred times over, <laughs> and we both laughed about it. He says, yeah, I understand that. I said, no, no, I'm talking about when I was grown up. She still had to tell me a hundred times before I remember things. Sanctum, oh, for once for all. When our Lord Jesus does it, he does it once. That's all that's needed to be done. He doesn't have to do it over and over again. Going on, the th- uh, second paragraph before the bottom of page three, this is very comforting to a sinner. Not only do I have a substitute, that's that substitute, that sacrifice is God himself. In the flesh, perfect in every way, pure and righteous. We go on to read in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, and every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Are you troubled with the sin that's in your body? Are you troubled with the sin that's in your mind? Our Lord says we've been perfected forever in him. Continuing in our text in Isaiah 40, verse 2, the last part it says, For she, Jerusalem, spiritual Israel, God's chosen people, hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, I I ask for you to allow me to uh, lean on our brother John Gill for this meaning. He writes, which may be understood either of a sufficiency of chastisements for sin. They have received double for all their sins. That could be a, a chastisement for all their sins, though they are not more but less than are deserved yet are as much as they, their Heavenly Father in his great tenderness and compassion thinks are enough. And though they are in measure and do not exceed, yet are in large measure often and least in their own apprehension, or else of the large and copious blessings of grace and goodness received instead of the punishment for sins that might be expected, or rather at the complete satisfaction made by Christ for her sins, and of her receiving of the Lord's hands in her surety, full punishment for them. Not that more was required than was due, but that ample satisfaction was made, and being infinite fully answers the demerit of sin. And this being in the room instead of God's people clears them and yields comfort to them. So as we we understand that we've received double, the Lord's hand double, for all her sins. Our Lord has cleared it completely. He says, it, He says, uh, I, have, I have purged your sins, cleansed you white as snow. This word of our troubles being conquered by our substitute is comforting indeed, is it not? It's our only peace in this world and in this flesh. The words of the prophet Zechariah declares this comfortable statement to the to the Israeli captives of Babylon, and in Zechariah 1, verses 12 through 14, 
Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah? They were in Babylon. Not all of Jerusalem had, but all the, all the smart ones, all the ones worthy of anything. Uh, uh, King Darius had taken uh, the best of the Jews and taken them to Babylon. And they were in captivity there. Daniel was one who was taken there. And so the, the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these three corps for and ten years? You remember the Lord had predicted before they were even captive taken captive into Babylon. He predicted they'd be there for 70 years. That's what that three score is. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me. And how did he answer? With good words and comfortable words. Oh, the good words of the Lord that comfort his children. Listen to what these words are. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem. Think about that. Jealous means he won't let anybody else have Jerusalem. You can't, you can't take Jerusalem, spiritual Israel, away from God. He's loved them with an everlasting love, a love from before the world was. And for Zion, with great jealousy, listen to those words. Is that not comfortable to know that our Lord looks upon you and I and is jealous for us? I'm not going to leave you to yourself, he says. I'm not going to leave you to the devil. You're mine. You're so much mine that I'm sending my son to be your propitiation, your payment, your blood sacrifice. The Lord of glory is jealous for his people. The Apostle Paul puts it in a very clear way, writing to the church at Rome and to all the saints to come. He says in Romans 8.31, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Does that not bring comfort to one who knows our depravity? When you come to, when the Lord has been brought, brought you to understand that you're dead in trespasses and sin, that he must give life. And that if you live, it's because of him. What can you say? What can you say? If God be for me, who can be against me? One who knows our inability to do anything about it. One who knows that there's nothing we can say or even think of ourselves in any way that pleases God. Page 5. Romans 8.32 he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Oh, how I pray the Lord will lay this to our hearts. Not to yours, to ours. I'm included. I need it just as much as anyone else. Lay these words to my heart, Lord, when we consider his majesty, when we consider what our God portrays himself in scriptures as being the sovereign of everything, creator of all that is, ruler of everything, including the particles of dust, the little, the little whatever you want to call them, uh, mice that you can't even see, molecules, all of those 
parts of what we have in this world, our Lord has created and works out according to his own purpose, according to his own will. When we consider his holiness, when we consider his holiness, the one that God delivered up for you and I was so perfect and so holy, he knew no sin. When when you consider his perfection in everything he did, you know, my father, my stepdad was a, was a perfectionist. He called himself a perfectionist. He says, don't ever grow up to be like me, son. He goes, I, I spend all my time trying to do a job perfectly, and I never get there. Christ never said that. Our Lord never had to say that. He didn't have to say anything. He was just perfect in what he did. Perfect in what he thought. Perfect in every every aspect. His perfection, his sovereignty. He rules over everything. I put a little article out. Uh, Mike Loveless had did a uh, one of his free Willard uh, postings, and it had Willard declaring how we all have our own pet little sins and stuff. And Mike said, yeah, but we have one thing in common, and that's the sin of unbelief. And I mentioned it. There's all kinds of people who say they believe God, that they believe in Jesus, but they deny his power. They deny his power over man's will. They deny his sovereignty over the will of man. They say, my will is above God's. They say all kinds of things. They deny their their depravity. And I went on to go on and, to, and bring out how they deny the truths of the Lord, yet they say they believe. Our biggest commonality in all man is our unbelief. God in his own word shows us a man who cries out, who cries out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. When we consider his majesty, his holiness, his perfection, his sovereignty, his power in giving of himself for us, is there anything that we can come that can come between God's people and the one that loves them with an everlasting love? What is of more value than his only begotten son? God gave us everything there is to give. He gave himself for you and I. Romans 8:33 through 34 we read who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Our God in his Son, the Lord Jesus, has conquered everything we need to be in his presence for eternity. That's what we read in Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's what separated us from God. Our condemnation. We were condemned. Condemned by sin. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. God cannot condemn that which he has already condemned. And he condemned his son. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. I brought this out last Sunday. Have you ever noticed when it comes to the Lord's people, sin is treated as a sickness? To the natural unregenerated man, it is referred to as a crime punishable by death. 
eternal death, but to you and I, to those he has loved from the foundation of the world, we are to be pitied, a sickness to be healed, restored to health. That's because Christ died in our stead. The holy justice of our crime was laid upon him, justifying us in his love. Finishing off the eighth chapter of Romans 35 through 39, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Folks, this is all comforting. This list of things that Paul writes off here comfort me as I struggle through this world. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Page six. Folks, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and the sword, some of some or all of these are going to be part of life in this world. You're not alone. My perils may not be as yours, and I doubt your nakedness is as mine, but we are not alone in this. God has given us each other to give comfort to each other in our times of weaknesses. Again, I read the opening scripture for you, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves comforted of God. Through the loving grace of our great and mighty Savior, you and I have been brought together to comfort one another, pointing each other to our only great comforter. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, we read, For I would that you know what a great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts, verse 2, might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. 
For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. How are we to comfort those who are going through trials? The same way God comforts you and I. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and power. He who rules all things according to the purpose of his own will. That's who we're in. That's that's where our comfort is. Page 7, verse 11 of Colossians 2, In whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that means made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He is our comfort. We are comforted knowing this, that he is sovereign in all things, and he is gracious, and he is life. Let's close tonight's study with John chapter 6, verse 63. Our Lord said in his own words, it is the spirit that quickeneth. Remember what we just read a moment ago in Colossians 2, 13. Hath he quickened together with him? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. No man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Notice he said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou hast the words of comfort. Thou hast the words that put away our tribulation. Verse 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, that Christ, the son of the living God. Amen.